Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all. Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North, Wednesday, May 24th, just after uh, 2 o'clock Mountain Time, 4 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Pacific, sometime in Saskatchewan that I always forget because the daylight savings. It's I, I think Saskatchewan's two hours behind, but like part of the year it's one hour behind, part of the year it's eight hours ahead. It's all uh, so difficult. It's like Arizona, which is why I am completely in favor of doing away with daylight saving, as has been proposed in Ontario, but they're only going to do it when New York goes along with it. So if any of the New York listeners are among us, do lobby your government to uh, switch permanently to daylight savings time so we can all go to a universalized time. Yesterday was dandelions. Today is daylight saving. Who knows what we're going to introduce the show with tomorrow. Uh, I want to delve a little bit further into the China scandal and David Johnson's report, which conveniently uh, exonerates Justin Trudeau and does exactly what Justin Trudeau needs it to do. Uh, We'll talk about that later on. And I also want to get some reaction from people in this country who have been targeted by China to get what they think of this approach that seems to have been put forward by David Johnston, that, oh, the government did nothing wrong. So uh, today I am very excited to have uh, Mehmet Totion, who is the executive director of the Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project. That'll be coming up uh, just in about 15 minutes or so. And also coming up very shortly, Brandon Leslie, who is the conservative candidate in Portage Lisker, which is the riding in which Maxime Bernier is running for the People's Party of Canada. So we will talk about that with uh, with uh, Brandon, that race, in just a couple of moments. Uh, he's supposed to be dialing in, actually, in uh, just about a minute and a half here. So I've got a bit more time to delve into the China story right now. And I, I want to just begin by talking about Justin Trudeau doing a victory lap on this. Here's a clip of Justin Trudeau uh, denouncing the denouncers, denouncing the opposition members for criticizing David Johnston's report. Take a look. Sticking on foreign interference, given that the opposition leaders seem to have rejected David Johnston's report and are now questioning his integrity, would you look to have someone else oversee the public hearings aspect of this? Um, First of all, they're not questioning his report. They're only questioning his integrity. Uh, I'd suggest that opposition leaders and indeed Canadians take a look at his report uh, and understand the work that he's done in this. This is an eminent Canadian who has served in many capacities over decades, was appointed Governor General by Stephen Harper and uh, has done extraordinary work on an extremely serious issue. Oh, he said eminent Canadian. So if you're doing the uh, David Johnston drinking game, eminent Canadians, you take a shot. A shot of caffeine in my case, not like the dandelion water I was uh, mocked for not drinking yesterday. I didn't want to go full all in on the dandelion bit, but uh, eminent Canadian. He's an eminent Canadian. How dare you criticize his eminence? And it's funny, when Justin Trudeau comes up there and says, oh, they're not criticizing his report, they're criticizing his integrity. Every Canadian is like, yes, 
Like, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. We're criticizing the guy's integrity. The guy who says he feels at home in China, the guy who parades around with uh, Xi Jinping, the guy who, uh, I don't know if we still have this picture from yesterday, who like just buddies around with Justin Trudeau wearing this uh, nice little hat, uh, celebrating whatever it is they're celebrating. You got Justin Trudeau uh, holding hands with Melanie Jolie. It all looks like they're about to do a giant dance. And uh, that is, of course, the... Uh, close personal friendship that David Johnson says does not exist between him and Justin Trudeau in action there. And all of that is to say that absolutely people are criticizing his integrity, his integrity in accepting this post, his integrity in how he did the report, his integrity in interviewing a conservative leader, a former conservative leader, while the report was already off with the translators. And we're supposed to accept that, oh, we bow before his eminence. We bow before his eminence. And how? who are we to criticize him? So if you missed my comments on this yesterday, I'm not going to rehash all of it, but I am going to repeat the fundamental summary in my view of David Johnson's report, which is that you all don't know what I know, and I'm not going to let you see it. That's essentially his position. His position is the same as Justin Trudeau's position. Again, odd how that works out, where uh, we are all the plebs that don't get to see the secret documents, and if we could see the secret documents, we would definitely just trust Justin Trudeau and trust the government on this, uh, but we can't. And I'd say, okay, well, perhaps show us some of the documents. Maybe not all of them. Show us some of the documents. And he says, oh, no, 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 we can't have any of that. So David Johnston is insisting upon a second phase of his study. And in that second phase, he's going to be the grand pooba once again. And it's exactly what Justin Trudeau was asked about there. Maybe there's another guy that could do the second phase who isn't going to be mired in these criticisms. And Justin Trudeau says, no, you're not criticizing his work. Read the work for yourself. Well, I did read the work for myself. I did read the report, and it was in reading that report, irrespective of all of the integrity-related issues I've just mentioned, that I found it to be an absolute sham of a report. The report, at several points, starts doing the government spin for the government. He starts actually giving the defensive lines that you would expect a communication staffer to give to Justin Trudeau, but he's actually baked it right in the report. And more importantly, the report shows that David Johnson didn't approach certain contentious things with nearly the level of curiosity you'd think a special rapporteur. I mean, I understand just a regular old rapporteur not wanting to go down into the weeds, but he's a special rapporteur. You think the special rapporteur is going to want to go down and get uh, get answers on some things. I guess he's not the really ultra special rapporteur. That's the one we uh, really needed here. But uh, like, for example, when he says, oh yeah, Handong definitely talked about China with the PRC officials, but he didn't advise them to keep them detained. And then you're looking at this and, well, well, hang on, why do we just now skip to another issue? Why not uh, delve into why was this guy talking to Chinese officials about a very hot-button geopolitical issue. Uh, so now Han Dong is incidentally claiming vindication on this. The uh, liberal candidate who was definitely given a bit of a nudge into the seat by the Chinese Politburo has now said that he's been vindicated and he wants to come back into the liberal caucus. And you know what? In a world in which the government is claiming it did nothing wrong and has nothing to hide, I have no doubt that he will be back in there. I have no doubt 
that uh, the Liberals will welcome back Handong with open arms. You know, I bet even Doug Ford will welcome Vincent K in Ontario back with open arms because the whole government has now been given a license to say, you know what, nothing really happened. It was all just fine. And, you know, the NDP deserve a bit of a question here because the NDP have for the last, I mean, since the 2021 election, uh, the NDP have been putting forward the position that uh, the Liberals are terrible and the Liberals and the Conservatives are no different and they're all just conspiring to uh, keep the little guy down and back the corporations. But, uh, oh, well, the Liberals, um, we, we know we don't want to pull our support from them. They, they're also, you know, going to be the guys we back and, and keep in office here. Uh, so all of this is to say right now the Liberal government the Liberal government is getting a complete vote of confidence from the NDP. Well, the NDP claims that everything the Liberals do is terrible. So uh, Jagmeet Singh is, again, the only guy that can go into a negotiating room with Justin Trudeau and somehow come out with nothing. Like, like we're talking, I don't think Justin Trudeau is the diplomatic heavyweight here, but Jagmeet Singh can go in, can come out with nothing, and then celebrate it as though he achieved some grand victory. So all of this is, I think, right now where we're at. That the NDP, they did this just painful painful, painful interview on CBC with Jagmeet Singh, which is where I watch it so you don't have to, in which uh, Singh is saying that he's not prepared to pull his support for the supply and confidence agreement, but there needs to be a public inquiry. And and uh, David Cochran kept asking, well, you know, what, what tools are you going to use to uh, get this inquiry? And Singh goes, well, you know, we've got many tools. We were, we were looking at all our tools. And uh, Cochran, to his credit, tries to be like, well, just give us a tool. And uh, Singh just won't do it because he knows that there are well, there are many tools, but that's a different story. Uh, but Singh won't use any of the tools in the toolbox because he has the one trump card that he could play. The one trump card that he could play, and he isn't going to do it, which is the card that would pull the NDP support of the Liberals. So uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later on when we have uh, Mehmet Toti with us from the Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project. But I want to do a bit of a follow-up to a discussion we started off last week about the Portage-Lisker by-election, one of the safest conservative seats historically, and it is now up for grabs uh, because Candace Bergen, the former interim leader of the Conservatives, has stepped back from politics. The conservative candidate, Brandon Leslie, joins us now. Uh, Brandon, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me here, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. So I, let's just, because it is a, a timely issue and we were talking about the, uh, the China file here, is this one that actually people talk about at the doors or is this this bubble issue where politicos and media types care about it, but it doesn't necessarily come top of mind for the average person in Portage Lisker? You'd be surprised, perhaps. It actually, election integrity, um, I think starting for the last couple of years, you know, these rumors that have kind of emerged, and now we're seeing real hard evidence emerge. It Election interference and the ability to have free and fair elections in a democratic nation like Canada actually has been a big issue at the doors. People are very upset, and I, I was door knocking yesterday, and I hadn't heard uh, the outcome of uh, David Johnson's uh, decision until I was informed at the door by somebody telling me how ridiculous they thought it was that uh, you know the handpicked uh, individual by the prime minister had come to this conclusion that there was no need for for a pu public inquiry and that they were going to do some sort of further investigation. And that individual that informed me found it rather appalling. So yeah, short answer to your or long answer to your short question. It is coming up at the door. The integrity of our elections matters to to folks in Portage Liscar and I think right across the nation. Why is it you decided to uh, to step up now and run? 
I would say largely because I'm fed up. And, you know, I, that, that has been something that has been echoed uh, at the doorsteps for the last uh, number of months, obviously starting with the nomination campaign, working with Conservative Party members to become the candidate, and through the past nine days uh, of this uh, actual election campaign. I think people feel that obviously life has become extremely unaffordable to them. I think that there is this constant attack on our rural way of life, uh, whether it be the Liberals gun grab, whether it be the carbon tax or now the secondary carbon tax, whether it be the attacks on our farmers and the cap of emissions on fertilizer. It seems as though our rural way of life is constantly under attack. And, and I want to stand up. I want to be part of a government that is going to fight for the little people, that is going to fight to give people back control of their lives and fight to return the prosperity that Canada can offer, the promise of Canada. Uh, one thing that I, I do have to bring up, because obviously you're running in one of the most conservative ridings in the country, uh, which meant it was also subject of a bit of a subplot last time because it was the strongest uh, People's Party of Canada uh, support uh, at about, I think, just over 20% or 20.1% in, in the last election. So let me ask you about that context, because I, I don't believe politicians, even ones in quote-unquote safe seats, should ever go into elections thinking they have it in the bag here. And in your case, you may uh, find that you're deflecting against a, a different type of, of opposition than you might have in, in a different riding. So is there an active strategy on your part to go after PPC voters? My active strategy is to go after voters. Uh, we have knocked on a lot of thousands of doors already. My plan is to talk to as many voters as I can. I have a team of volunteers that I, I left in my hometown here in Portage knocking on doors today. So the, the plan is to engage with as many voters and hear their issues. In terms of the last election, people were mad. People were upset with the mandates and the lockdowns that were imposed, particularly the egregious lockdowns that Manitobans faced. There's been a, a turning point, and it certainly started with the leadership of Pierre Polyev. Uh, prior to his time as leader and throughout his time as leader, he has been very clear on his views of, about mandates and lockdowns. And throughout our, my nomination process, I've made my views very clear. So, you know, there might have been a high water point in the last election, but in talking with people, they are ready for a, a real party that can be ready to govern. And I'm looking forward to join Pierre Polyev's team in Ottawa and take this fight to the Liberals, because that's really where we need to have it. You know, I, I know obviously that, you know, when people ask how many votes do you need to win, the answer is one more than the other guy. Like, it, there's not a magic number and you, you can't have 100%. And uh, generally speaking, we don't want a system in which people get get every voter. But but even so, when you have, uh, you know, 20% of, of voters in a riding that were probably, at least for the most part, historically conservative voters say, I don't believe that the Conservative Party of Canada is an effective champion of the things that matter to me. Does that not necessitate some introspection on, on your part as a Conservative member, despite the leadership change that, hey, there's a part of our party that has been failing people? Sure, but I think you hit the, hit the nail on the head here. And we are not taking anything for granted. Like, let's be frank here, Andrew. I'm the new guy. Candace was the MP, was a very good MP in this riding for, for many years. And so stepping into this with a, a new face, a name on a sign isn't enough to just sway voters. So that's why we're working so hard, me personally, and the dozens of volunteers we have going across town to cross this riding for the last eight days and continuing over the next uh, 28 and, and beyond that to make sure that they know that we are taking this riding serious. And again, I think it does start with the leadership to push back a little bit. Pierre has, has shifted our, our Conservative Party to a point in which I think people are very excited once again to be part of our movement. He has unified our party. He has brought people back into the fold by his strong positions, 
whether it be on mandates and lockdowns, but a whole host of other issues that are at the core priorities of people across this riding. So overwhelming support thus far. I'm very proud of the campaign we're running so far. And, and as I say, we aren't taking anything for granted. We are going to go out there and work hard to earn every vote on June 19th. So let's talk about 2021 for a moment. And I, I take you know, to, I take what you say, you weren't the candidate then, so I don't think you have to be held accountable for, for what the party did. But there were a lot of voters that saw, okay, we elected a leader that says no to a carbon tax, and then all of a sudden we're running on something that very much resembles a carbon tax. You know, other things in the platform, uh, like, you know, repealing liberal gun bans were, were walked back or, or softened. So for you as a conservative candidate, can you make a commitment now that you won't stand for that? That if the platform put forward in the election is not the one that Pierre Pauli has been talking about now and was talking about in his leadership that you're going to speak out against it absolutely and you know what people have challenged me with that on the doorsteps and i proudly say you know when elected to the join this caucus i've looked thousands of people in the eye already and told them for example that we are going to axe the carbon tax and i will happily say that loudly and proudly inside our own caucus to make sure that it's known that when i tell somebody i mean it and our party needs to mean it too. We can't just be liberal light. We need to be true conservatives to ourselves and to everybody across this country. And I think, again, it does go back to the leadership leadership change that happened uh, last year with Pierre taking the helm. I think we are... We are earnest to ourselves in the fact that we are real conservatives. We are consistent in our views, and I'm very proud to be joining his team. And I think Canadians uh, across the country, at least here in Portage Lizcar, are seeing that shift happening in real time. Uh, I did have uh, Maxime Bernier, your opponent in this race, on the show last week, and he had unveiled his uh, policy on abortion at the time, and he had said, you know, we, he wants to end third trimester uh, abortions, and, and, you know, there was a bit of a back and forth as to how he identifies as, as pro-life or pro-choice, but in the interest of fairness, I know it actually, probably in your riding more than many others in Canada, it does matter to voters. There are a lot of uh, conscience voters there. Where do you stand on this? Are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? Yeah, it's easy for me. I'm 100% pro pro life. Uh, it's a lot easier to answer that way. And and it, you're right. There is uh, this is an important issue to a lot of voters, and it's on both sides uh, of life. It's it's uh, the abortion issue, but it's also the medical assistance and dying issue, which uh, has been raised to me a number of, of times of late. Obviously, the Liberals' proposed expansion to children and those suffering with mental illness uh, is is deeply concerning. And Conservative MPs, uh, when the Liberals first brought this in, rightfully stood up and, and maintained the argument that we needed tight guardrails on medical assistance and dying opportunities and to avoid this slippery slope that we've seen in other countries. So, you know, with that issue being front and center in the minds of many people right now, I'm happy to tell them uh, exactly how I feel, that we need to make sure that we limit this proposed expansion uh, by the Liberals uh, to those to youths and those facing uh, mental health issues. So, so to me, it's fairly easy. And I was, I'm not sure why my opponent couldn't be a little bit more clear after making such an announcement. But I think the reality is, you know, he's an opportunist from another country. He's at the point where he's desperate. He's willing to say and do anything at this point to try to get votes based on what he thinks people want him to say. Quebec, you're referring to as another country here? Sorry, another province. My apologies. <laughs> well, that, 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 that claim might actually get you votes in rural Manitoba. I, I'm not <laughs> sure. But, 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 I mean, here's the criticism, though, is that you have a, a party leader who does not identify as pro-life, and despite his commitment to conscience votes, has said unequivocally, including on my show, that he does not anticipate any uh, legislation on abortion passing. So if you're a pro-life voter, is the PPC not offering you more because they actually have a concrete plan on abortion, whereas you're leaning on your values here and you know, in a party that doesn't want to legislate on this issue. 
Yeah, and as I said, I get asked this all the time, and I think what I say, what I say to folks in the riding is, just like Candace Bergen did, I will always vote with the will of my constituents, which is very clearly uh, on the pro-life side of things. I think, at a, you know, I wouldn't trust an opportunist from Quebec, from our country, but from a different province, that's coming in here and just trying to get votes by, by stating that he's going to do something. He is right in saying that single-handedly he's not going to be able to do this. Now, he's starting the conversation, that is one thing, but that's not what he's trying to do here. He is trying to get votes from folks that know that he can't actually represent any of their issues. People here, what I've been talking to on the doorstep, are worried about their businesses uh, and their communities having water access, having natural gas access, so we can have economic prosperity for our manufacturing industries, for our wet agricultural value-added processing industries. They're mad about the carbon tax, about the gun grab. And he's trying to come in and, and try to harvest votes based on on what he thinks uh, he thinks folks care about. He's, he's transitioned overnight into a social conservative, and I think people are going to see through that. If you are successful in getting elected, you're going to have a, a bit of runway, maybe a year, maybe two years uh, of being in opposition before there is a, another election. Uh, what is your target for that? What is your goal for that that you'd want to have achieved before you're going back to voters uh, in 2025 if uh, the NDP doesn't manage to find a spine and, uh, and you're saying, OK, reelect me? Yeah, no, that's a good question, Andrew. I think the the first thing that is part of the team, right? You know, holding this liberal government to account uh, is a team effort. And what I really want to focus on here, and we're an agricultural-based riding, and we have a lot of opportunities to increase our agricultural output from a farm perspective, but from a value-added perspective. And that's going to be one of my core priorities to make sure that we are able to bring in the economic drivers, which are, are often federal investments, to make sure that we have the infrastructure to bring in businesses, to expand our businesses, ensure we have economic growth here in our riding. You know, we, we've seen tremendous growth across a number of communities, but I'm a firm believer in the need to keep our rural communities thriving. I'm so proud of our of our rural communities and our rural values. And economic growth is the key to all of that. Of course, we need uh, investments in, in community um, uh, you know, in infrastructure to make sure that there's an attractive place to live. But I really want to see our rural communities across this riding thrive. And I think it starts with working with the government of the day. Of course, it'll be much easier when we form the next conservative majority government. But to make sure that the priorities of the residents of Portage Lisgar are understood by this government and the next government once we take power. Brandon Leslie, conservative candidate in uh, Portage Lisgar. Thanks so much for uh, coming on today. Good to talk to you. My pleasure, Andrew. We'll talk to you again. All right. Thank you for that. Although I know I'm going to get like, we don't, I don't know how many listeners we have in Quebec, but I, I'm sure that like there are one or two of them that are going to email. And I don't know if they're going to be like, you know, yes, he's recognizing Quebec sovereignty or if they're going to be the uh, federalist types. But he did walk that back and, and say he meant province. So, so don't, so don't send me your angry emails about that. I get enough of them on the whole uh, dandelion thing. Uh, but let's uh, turn our attention to, you may have heard, if you uh, hear this show frequently, occasionally I delve into this, this one little pet project of mine. Uh, not not really a project, because that implies I'm doing something about it, but uh, a pet interest of mine, which is that I have this like visceral and irrational dis di like contempt for bylaws and for bylaw enforcement officers. And I don't know if it's like a traumatization that I hold, because one time, uh, as I was talking about with Stella Ambler a little while back, I, I was like, I had been rearranging cars in a driveway and the car was parked the wrong way on the road for just a moment and I got a ticket for, I don't know, like $150 or something like that. Uh, maybe it's, maybe I'm traumatized by that. Maybe it's because when I was running for uh, office myself in 2018, London, Ontario had a sign bylaw and the bylaw officers would always be like just pulling our sign 
signs out of the ground because it was, you know, two inches too close to another sign or something stupid like that. So I, I don't like bylaw enforcement and I, I, I don't wish ill on the individual people, but I wish the whole department could just get, generally speaking, slashed. Uh, this is a, a lengthy wind up to a story that I am happy to put in my disband bylaw enforcement divisions file, which is not a physical, maybe I should actually get a physical file on it. Uh, this is actually not far from uh, where I live in, uh, this is in Tilsonburg, Ontario, uh, which, what is it, is it Stompin' Tom Connor that did the the Tilsonburg song? My, my, back, my back still hurts when I hear that word, Tilsonburg. I think something like that. If you're a Stompin' Tom Connor fan, you can correct my lyrics. I am notoriously bad at uh, pretty much song lyrics, but I know it was about Tilsonburg, if I'm uh, remembering it correctly. Uh, anyway, Tilsonburg, Ontario, uh, has uh, a bylaw enforcement officer has told residents to remove a basketball net from the end of their driveway. And I don't know if we have a, a photo of this to put up from the story, but uh, there's a, a driveway in Tilsonburg. It's a nice little uh, suburban neighborhood there in this uh, town in southwestern Ontario. And all the kids uh, you can see in a photo here are playing, and the basketball net is between the sidewalk and the curb. So it's in that section where you know bylaw claims jurisdiction, even though they're not the ones cutting your lawn. Uh, but the basketball net is there so the kids in the street can play with their basketball because the driveway doesn't look all that long. And you say, oh, well, that's great. You know, no one's being harmed by it. Oh, well, bylaw doesn't want any of that. So uh, Shannon Steen, a 42-year-old mom, has had bylaw ring her doorbell to suddenly take issue with this basketball net, which has been there for a year and a half. The basketball net was there for a year and a half. And that is, I think, an absolutely uh, insane thing to just wake up one day and say, oh, you know what, we don't like that. So there's a little uh, kind little note here on a business card. Could you please remove basketball net off road allowance? And then they knocked on the door and have asked her to remove it. So uh, I don't know if she is going to fight this. I don't know if she's going to take the basketball net uh, fiasco all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, but Shannon Steen, I am on your side, and I say play on to you. Uh, but that does not and should not constitute legal advice by, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But my, this is the thing. Like When you look at most of the things you can't do in a city... It's always the bylaws that are responsible. Like if I want to go and get a pet cheetah, which I think my wife would probably love and I would enjoy it. Uh, it's not the government of Ontario that says you can't have the cheetah. It's not the government of Canada that says you can't have the cheetah. It's the stupid municipal bylaws that say like you can only have a dog, a cat, a rabbit, a turtle, and all the fun animals are banned. So... Uh, that is exactly the uh, the problem that we're dealing with. So if you want to join my crusade against bylaw, we should uh, start up a website on uh, on something like that. Uh, let's see what else is going on here. This is, uh, I think, a bit of an interesting dynamic here. And to go back to the China files, uh, one thing that I would bring up here that has been tremendously significant in the last little while is how little accountability there seems to be whenever something goes wrong in society. And I, I think we right now have collectively a sense of low expectations where we just are so used to thinking that things are broken, so used to thinking that the world just doesn't work, that when things don't work, it just reaffirms our thesis. And when things do work, we're celebrating it, but it doesn't become the new normal. So a lot of Canadians who have for the last several years seen Justin Trudeau break uh, ethics laws multiple times, uh, the SNC-Lavalin scandal, all of that. Uh, what else do we have? The, uh, the Agacon private vacation. Uh, they're, they're like, okay, this is just par for the course. 
This is just how life is. There is no accountability. There is no remedy for wrongdoing. We're all just supposed to shrug our shoulders and move on. So when you look at what's happening with China, and the conservatives are calling right now for this public inquiry. And I, I spoke about this with Pierre Polyev not that long ago when I was sitting down with him at some point. And I said, like, is this public inquiry even going to be this ascendant aspirational thing that will deliver accountability? And his answer was kind of, well, we, we know that the alternative is not. And that's a, a fair enough point. I mean, I've been one of these people who has, since the beginning, been skeptical that a public inquiry is going to do anything. Because the problem right now is that you have a government that holds in its mind a, a blind spot on China, a government that isn't interested in China, a government that isn't interested in really getting to the bottom of Chinese interference in Canadian elections, in the Chinese influence in all of these institutions in Canada. Remember, it isn't just about elections. It's uh, an influence that we see in academia. The amount of money that the Chinese regime, through its uh, many tentacles and organs, funnels into research institutions, universities, all of these offices and bureaus, these cross cross-cultural partnerships, it's astronomical. I think we're probably talking around the world billions of dollars. You look at the Belt and Road Initiative, which I've talked about on the show in the past. It's China essentially colonizing the developing world by building airports and shipping terminals and ports so that it becomes the center of this new global trading hub. And, and by the way, this is stretching now into the Caribbean. It's stretching into Eastern Europe. It's stretching in some ways into Western Europe. And most people just don't care. Most people do not care. And part of it is because most people don't have the capacity to care. They have real problems in their life there. I, I just saw, I think it was yesterday, that in Canada, we have the highest household debt level in the G7. The highest household debt level in the G7. So uh, that means that when a global economic crisis comes, Canadians are probably going to be screwed relative to people in other countries even. More, more so than people in Germany, more so than people in Italy, in Japan, in the UK. And that is something that we will have to, as a country, contend, contend with. So if you are wondering whether you'll be able to afford your mortgage payment, I get not knowing why Chinese influence in whatever institution matters. I, I get that. But it does matter. And the economic stuff is very much connected to China as well, because China is the one cashing the checks while we all reorient our world around these very grandiose virtue signally propositions. And uh, to bring it into context here, for people who are part of the Chinese diaspora, for people who have families in China, these things are very real to them. They're very personal. When we hear about Chinese interference, it isn't just taking place in this abstract way where, you know, a bunch of faceless people uh, just happen to like the liberals better. A lot of the times this is, there, there is intimidation intimidation taking place to harass individual people. We heard it with Michael Chong's family overseas. And one story that is particularly important is that of uh, a gentleman who joins us now on the show. His name is uh, Mehmet Todi. He's the executive director of the Uyghur Rights Advocacy Product and, uh, Project. And he's had people uh, that have been Chinese police agents call him up and directly intimidate him. Mehmet, it's good to talk to you. Thank you for coming on today. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Uh, uh, good to have you. Uh, good to be on your show. Explain to me, first off, what does these phone calls are like? When, when you've gotten a call about your family, what is it that's being told to you and who is it that's telling you? 
Uh, it is many things, just particularly it is part of the Chinese transnational oppression, targeting Uyghur activists not only in uh, third world countries, at the same time reaching out to Canada, the person like me, the living in free society, and threatening me by hostage taking of my family members to stop my just normal activities speaking up. Uh, that's what it is. And part of your activities are as a, as a Uyghur activist calling out these abuses. You're criticizing these abuses and they respond by more of the abuse, by more of what it is that you're criticizing. Now just imagine in my life I did two things. One is I, I, I can hold a pen, I can write, and another thing was just to speak up. For two things I did in my life, and since 1991, I am totally isolated from, from my family members. And the Chinese government did not allow any of my family members just to come and visit me since 32 years. And uh, when I initiated any campaign in Canada for a particular issue, for instance, in 2006, when the Canadian citizen of Uyghur origin, Mr. Hussein Jalil, was abducted in Uzbekistan by Chinese government and shipped out to China and sentenced for life, I advocated for his early release. At that time, Chinese government took hostage of my uh, mother to stop me from my activities. And then, just as recent as January 16th, the Chinese state police called me again. This time, they're telling me that they killed my mother and that they killed my two sisters and I asked about my brothers. I have three brothers there. And uh, I was told that my three brothers had disappeared. I asked how about their children. And uh, there's no any news about their children. And they took hostage of my mother's brother, my uncle, in, in a hospital bed. And threatened me to stop to pass the motion M62 for the resettlement of 10,000 Uyghur refugees here in Canada who escaped from Chinese genocide. And the threat level just came to our soil in Canada. And because we closed our eyes since decades with the false expectation of engagement and a favorable trade relationship and others. And China expanded its influence with huge machinery and uh, mobilized huge human and uh, the financial resources, penetrated in our societies, not only in our societies, they penetrated in three levels of governments, including federal, uh, provincial, and municipal governments. At the same time now, we are talking about the meddling of our democratic elections. And so this is a serious matter. And when this kind of serious uh, issue is uh, taking place, we are still debating whether to have a public inquiry or not. The answer should be clear. And the prime minister's appointment of that special rapporteur is the sign that prime minister is in incompetence. If you're prime minister, you should know what to do, what kind of action you should take in the face of this uh, threat. You don't, I don't ask advice from any other uh, people to, uh, to manage my office matters. I know what to do. And for that reason, this uh, the rejection of public inquiry 
is the vindication of the government's inaction at the same time put the blame on CSIS for miscommunication and the prime minister is going to win some time to cool down this matter, but we are determined, we are going to put utmost pressure on the parliamentarians and we are going to speak up more loudly to have the public inquiry to get the bottom of this mess and figure out what is working, what is not, and what kind of measures government has undertaken or is going to undertake, whether these measures are adequate to offer a protection for us and to safeguard our democratic institutions. One of the things that strikes me in what you've just said, Mehmet, is that when when we learned from the CSIS reports about what the government was being told and, and what we frankly know they were largely ignoring, uh, the one thing that, that strikes me as really concerning there is that you've just described how people in the uh, Chinese diaspora in Canada have known about this for years, for decades. This is not new. Uh, yet for the government, they've treated it all as if it is new. They've treated it all as though when the Globe and Mail asked them three months ago, it was like the first time uh, this was ever brought up to them. Yeah, and uh, this issue has been updated with various levels of government since decades. We shared our personal stories and we shared the real threat that we received daily basis from the Chinese government. And not only me and many diaspora community members and human rights defenders, they shared with the real actionable recommendation to the government. And so far, just imagine we don't have any place to go if, you, if we face this kind of threat. There is no any mechanism in Canada, legal or administrative, to address this issue. And the parliament did not introduce a single piece of legislation. And we are still debating whether to have the foreign agent registry. And because we didn't get the bottom of this uh, mess through public inquiry, we don't know what kind of uh, the measures we need to include or formalize Mm -hmm. new piece of legislation in a parliament. And for that reason, public inquiry is the key. We have to identify if there is a loophole in our system, if there is any shortcomings in our institutions. We have to identify those problems and we have to incorporate the measures to address those problems in order to introduce a stronger legislation as our allies did already. Just one more question, if I may, Mehmet, because I obviously the stories that you've shared about what you've encountered when police have been calling you up from uh, from uh, your 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 home country is is terrible. And I and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the Chinese police stations that have opened up in in Canada and other countries and around around the world, where as an outsider looking in, it it looks like they're trying to basically extend that intimidation and extend that coercion where all of a sudden when you get a phone call, it's not a long distance call, it's a local call. Yeah, uh, just imagine, and uh, it means if I receive a phone call from Chinese state police in China, it means that there are people in Canada who are closely watching my schedule. And do you know what is going on in Canada, what we are doing in Canada, when and uh, what? And they share that information with the Chinese side, daily basis. And the Chinese government knows our vulnerability, our loved ones. And so they acted in coordinated way. And so Chinese police stations in Canada is the extended arms and the lens of the Chinese government. And for that reason, we should take that threat seriously. 
Mehmet uh, Toti joins us now. He is the executive director of the Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project. Uh, thank you so much for uh, taking a stand when so many people want you to be silent. It's really appreciated, sir. You're welcome, Andrew. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Mamet. That uh, does it for us for today. Uh, do let me know what you think about that, though, and we will certainly revisit this next week. I am off to Alberta uh, tomorrow because we are going to be there covering the home stretch of the Alberta election and then election night on Monday. Stay tuned to True North for uh, details on what those plans are going to be. Uh, that is my way of saying I still don't know all of the plans, and I, like, I couldn't even tell you the start time, but uh, we will be doing a live results show for you and I hope you tune into that on Monday. So on Friday, we got a bit of a special edition of the program for you uh, that I think you'll very much enjoy that fits outside of the news of the day narrative and straight to the bigger picture. So uh, that's all we have to look forward to in the coming days. My thanks to all of you for tuning in today. We will talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.